Please join with me in our prayer of illumination. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord, amen. The Old Testament scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, the first six verses. The Pew Bible has it on pages 676 through and 677 if you wish to follow along. Isaiah 60, 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to see you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels from Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Epiphany Sunday, uh, many believe, is an older celebration in the church than even Christmas. It's been um, long observed, and typically it recognized two different events in the life of Jesus. One is uh, what we will look at today, the arrival of the wise men at the manger uh, in the story in Matthew 2. Uh, And then the other is the baptism of Jesus. Um, In recent history, we have divided the two. We'll actually observe a Sunday dedicated to the baptism of Jesus next Sunday. So that frees us up on this Epiphany Sunday to focus on the wise men. And as I said, it comes from the story that we'll read comes from the second chapter of Matthew. These are verses 1 through 12. So listen now for the word of God to the church on this Epiphany Sunday. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, 
For so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one Christmas Eve, a few years ago, my friend Khalid went to Sam's Club. His family cooks in bulk quantities, so he usually buys in bulk quantities. And as he approached the checkout lanes, he caught the eye of a cashier he had seen before. And she recognized him, too. Even in a retail checkout line, Khalid kind of stands tall and makes an impression. The signal light for her lane was off and showing that her register was about to close, but she motioned for him to come over anyway. She said, I know you. I'll take you over here. Now, to quote one of Dickens' best holiday lines, there's something that must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. Khalid is Muslim. He follows a path of Sufism, which is a spiritual discipline within Islam that seeks the cleansing and reparation of the heart. And his desire is to clear his spirit of anything that stands between him and his God, anything that impairs his pursuit of God. And he looks for light and peace in all people, even those who are different from him, even those whom he might meet in the checkout line at Sam's Club. So in this packed Christmas Eve store, Khalid happily accepts the invitation that he was given. He did not remember the clerk's name, but he did remember her, and from a previous conversation, he remembered that she was a Christian. So he knew that it was an especially significant day in her faith tradition and for her. He also knew that she was probably watching the clock for the time when she would be able to get home and get ready for church and begin the celebration of her Savior's birth. So in his mind, there was really only one question to ask. So how is it with you and the king? And a huge smile spread across the clerk's face, and her hands flew up, and she said, He is Lord. It's his birthday. And then she paused, and a little bit of the smile left her face. But I'm disappointed, she continued, because my mother is ill. I have to stay with her tonight, so I can't go to church. And Khalid thought for a moment, and then he said this to her. 
If you were to ask Jesus, would you rather me go to church or stay home with my sick mother, I bet Jesus would say, be with your mother. And that cashier threw her arms around him and gave him a big hug, and that smile was back on her face, and Christmas had arrived at Sam's Club. Defying expectations, it was brought there by a Muslim, a wise man from Morocco who seeks peace, loves people, and respects Jesus. And in many ways, that is what Christmas is all about, the defying of expectations. Elizabeth, in her old age, did not expect to be given a child, let alone a prophet of the Most High. Mary did not expect to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and become pregnant before her wedding day. Joseph could not have expected that marriage and fatherhood would be what it was for him. And the world certainly did not expect the humble, seemingly fragile king that it was given. Christmas defied all of these expectations. And the so-called wise men were no exception. We might assume that these were very, very religious men to have undertaken such a journey, but we really don't know that for sure. It's more likely that they were astronomers or scientists, analysts of the stars, probably armchair philosophers, well-read students of world religions and literature. They were certainly not Hebrews, and yet they were among the first to honor Jesus. Standing alongside lowly shepherds, they were the first to acknowledge that this newborn baby would be great in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the world. And who knows what they really expected from that journey that they took. Who knows what they had really hoped to find. They'd been intrigued by a phenomenon in the heavens, a peculiar star that seemed to point to something, and somehow they had linked this heavenly curiosity with certain promises from the Hebrew Scriptures, which had by this time been translated into Greek and circulated pretty distantly abroad. They even referred to it as his star. These students of the world sensed something big on the horizon, something happening in Palestine, and they wanted to check it out. And perhaps they expected the kind of journey that we might tend to imagine today in songs and Christmas pageants. A calm and gentle ride on camels down safe roads, under starlit skies. The poet T.S. Eliot, however, paints a more realistic picture of what their actual journey might have been like in his famous poem, The Journey of the Magi. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter, and the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away, wanting their liquor and women, and the night fires going out, and the lack of shelters, 
and the city's hostile and the town's unfriendly and the village is dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night sleeping in snatches with the voices singing in our ears saying that this was all folly. By the end of T.S. Eliot's poem, the wise men are wondering whether they had been led all that way to experience a birth or a death. They had been expecting the birth, but the journey and the birth that they encountered at the end of it, despite expectations, was a hard and bitter agony for them. As T.S. Eliot envisioned it, that journey in their words, was almost like their own death. For after their encounter, when they returned to their own places and kingdoms, they were never again comfortable here in this world, in what Eliot calls the old dispensation. There was hope in that journey. They found joy on that journey. But as T.S. Eliot imagined it, none of it was what they really expected. And what about us? What are our expectations? Like the wise men who saw a star in the east, we all have ideas about new directions and new endeavors, new journeys that might lead us to greener and safer pastures. From Isaiah to Jeremiah, from Ezekiel to Amos and Micah and Joel, to Malachi and Zechariah, to Elizabeth and Mary, to Simeon and Anna, the voices of Advent and Christmas, all express the hope that a new reality of peace and grace and love will come to heal the world in its broken places. As we live in faith from day to day and month to month, we see some of those expectations being realized. With others, we may see little progress or even no progress. And sometimes we may even feel that we're actually moving farther away from the hopeful vision that we had. And then there are the expectations that others have of us. Parents and teachers who expect stellar grades on a consistent basis. Bosses and co-workers who expect excellence in our work. Families who expect a certain standard of living. Neighbors who expect our yards to be neat and clean all the time. And God certainly seems to have very high expectations of us. Spiritual expectations that we should always forgive those who trespass against us, that we should always turn the other cheek in peace when someone strikes us in anger, that we should never be greedy or gluttonous or selfish or lazy or rude. One of the old chestnuts of the faith, and you may have heard it at one point or another, is this admonition that God never gives us more than we can handle. Whenever I hear that, I think of the man who, like Job, ran through a period of terrible misfortune. And as he moved from tragedy to tragedy, he finally threw up his hands and said, I know God won't give me more than I can bear. I just wish he didn't have such a high opinion of me. (laughs) 
We are keenly aware that others have high expectations of us, and sometimes we live up to those expectations, and sometimes we do not. The wise men, for example, must have sensed that Herod expected much from them. They had to know that he had spies planted all around, as any paranoid and ruthless leader like Herod would. Herod had shown a keen and curious interest in this star they observed. His own advisors had confirmed that the sign was probably a harbinger of this new king, the Messiah, And Herod's commission to these wise men was dripping with dark and dubious expectation. Go and search for this child. And when you find him, you tell me so that I can go and pay him homage. And they knew that that's the last thing that Herod really wanted to give. And they knew that Herod's expectations were clashing with expectations that they probably had of themselves as scientists, as people who had hope for the world, as human beings with a sense of common decency and a moral code of right and wrong. And fortunately for the world, these men defied Herod's expectations and followed the better angels of their nature. Scripture says that when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. I wonder if that is what they had expected to feel. I wonder if they had expected to become so overcome with emotion and faith that they would kneel before a baby, that they as wise and seasoned men of the world would prostrate themselves to an unknown child in an unknown and strange kingdom Did they expect that at the end of their journey, they would find something so wonderful that it would prompt them to defy a known king, a known power, that they would refuse to accept his evil errand and decide instead to take a detour and return to their own country by another road? No, in all these things, they exceeded their own expectations and the expectations of almost everyone else. The truth is, in the life of faith, we are always dying to old expectations and always being reborn into new and better ones. Sometimes the journey to where we hope to go feels cold and long Sometimes the path to a better way and a better life is hard and bitter agony. And there may even be some cursing and some grumbling along the way with fires going out in the night and lack of shelter when we need it most. But then Christmas comes and brings with it just enough hope, just enough joy, just enough of a glimpse of God to light our way and keep our feet on the path. It is a star that returns year after year to remind us to keep our expectations up because God is always keeping his promises. On a Christmas Eve not so long ago, a woman at Sam's Club was struggling under the weight of expectations, the expectations of her church, her faith, her employer, her mother, 
her own conscience. And then a wise man from the east cut through it all with a simple question. For that Christian woman, it really was the only question that needed to be asked of her on that holy night. I pray that in the year to come, that same question would be our guiding star. As always, there will be expectations of what we should do, how we should act, which masters we should serve. But as post-Christmas Christians, we can no longer be comfortable in what T.S. Eliot calls the old dispensation with its old worn-out priorities and agendas. As Christians, we're always dying to old expectations and always being reborn into new, loftier ones. And if the expectations created by Christ, preached by Christ, lived by Christ, are not a priority for us, if his hopes are not our hopes, if his ways are not our ways, if there's something we need to do to find him and give him the homage that he deserves, then we need to be ready to buck the expectations of the world and change course. We need to have the courage to take another road to get home, if that is what it takes. So I ask you on this Epiphany Sunday, the only question that I think you really need to be asked this morning. So, How is it with you and the king?